Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is The Key to Resurrection Power. Anybody need power today? Resurrection power. We're going to be talking about eternal life and marriage at the resurrection, but we're going to be in Mark 12, 18 to 27. But this passage reminds me of when I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for like 10 years. And one of the churches I was at, we, they had an old Greyhound bus with like a million miles, literally a million miles. It was, it was an old, old bus. And we used to take the kids many, many different places with this old Greyhound bus. We would go on ministry events and mission trips all over the country. In fact, Ryan, when he was born in Mississippi, a lot of you know the story of the mission trip, Ryan born, he rode home from the hospital on that bus. We got him, picked him up from the hospital with a Greyhound bus down in Mississippi. And the nurse was like, we've never had this happen before. So uh, this bus was all over the place. And some trips got pretty long, as you can imagine. And the nerves would start to get frazzled. And you can imagine, you know, they start, to, when are we going to get there? You know what it's like in your car, times that by 70 kids, you know. You know, when are we going to get there? And, and fighting. And so I would grab the microphone. The, the bus had a mic, and which the bus drivers, I guess, in the past would use to, communicate with the passengers I would grab the mic and I'd stand there next to the bus driver up there holding the pole and I would start to like entertain them and try to take their mind off of what they're for hours we would try to when it really got crazy literally for hours I would just stand at that mic and try to keep them going and we would do songs oh you can't get to heaven you know on a greyhound bus a greyhound bus makes too much fuss we'd sing these songs you know and get going make up a lot of things we'd go into tunnels and there were a lot, a lot of tunnels, especially as you go out toward the Midwest, there's some wild, long tunnels. And you know how you try to hold your breath through the whole tunnel? And I would say, okay, and I'd have this bucket of candy. I always had a bucket of candy. I was a very popular youth pastor. You know, candy, and I would throw handfuls out there. It was crazy. And so we, I would say, okay, who can hold your breath through this tunnel? And some of these tunnels were long. There's no way you could humanly hold your breath going through these tunnels. And I'm, But what I would do is I'd say, whoever can make it the whole way, I'm going to give them double prices, a handful of candy. They're all in our frenzy. Now you've got to hold your breath ready. And we go into the tunnel, get dark, and, and, and we all do this. And, and, you know, the lights, you can kind of see the bus lights. And, you know, and everybody's trying to hold their breath. And, and about 30 seconds into it, I turn the mic off. I turn around and talk to the bus driver. Boy, I can't believe this is a long tunnel. I don't know if anybody's going to make it. I turn around. You know, do that. You know, like I'm trying to hold my breath. Then I turn around. A minute into it, I turn around and talk to the bus. I think they're, I, I hope these kids don't pass out, you know. And, you know, and then I turn back out. You know, pretend I'm holding my breath, you know. And, and by the end, you could just start to hear, you know, Pops, <laughs> you're letting the breath out, and, and every time one of them would almost get there, and they'd have these red marks, little blood blood vessel pops all over the freckles all over their face, and I'd give them the candy, and, uh, and we or we'd have contests, you know, there ain't no, I would, I'd get the boys and girls going at each other all the time. Kim remembers these. We had some fun with the boys versus the girls. And, uh, and I always made, of course, I always made sure the boys won, uh, yeah, which made the girls crazy. And they would just get so mad. And if the, they were ahead, I would say, okay, this is the last question. And if the girls got it, I'd say, well, that was only worth a tenth of a point. We've got to keep going. And I'd keep doing it until the boys somehow won. And they would be so mad. They'd go up to Kim and, well, he's cheating again. He goes, she goes, I know. I live with him. I know what he's like. Yeah. And, and oh, they got into frenzies, you know, and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but we had another game that was called Stump the Chump. Stump the Chump. 
And I said, guys, you can ask me any question about any topic. I know everything, you know. And they would get all round up, you know, let's get him, you know. And, and I say, whoever gets it gets two pieces of candy. And so they would ask me these questions. And they would ask sports questions and music questions and Bible questions. And I would get almost all of them, almost all, because at that time I was keeping up with the whole youth culture thing. Now I don't know any of this stuff. But at that time I would get most of their questions. But there was a couple child geniuses sitting on the front, you know, that always sat up front, Mark and Matt and Ron, remember Kim? And these guys were geniuses, and they would ask me these hard science questions, you know, really, really hard ones. I don't even remember what they, these questions, they'd ask me, and then they they knew they had me, they'd say, what is blah, 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 and I'd be like, oh, I didn't even heard of this, you know, something quantum physics thing, and, and then they like, they do their nerd laugh, <laughs> They knew they got me, you know, and, and then, but so I, uh, so I, they were pilfering my candy, so I finally figured out how to beat these, these child genius nerds, and so I, I say, I would, I would say, uh, okay, I give up, I'd shut the microphone off, and I'd say, okay, I give up, they're sitting right here, I go, what is it, and I'd hand them the mic, and they'd answer it, then I'd pull it back, I'd say, wait, I think, and I'd turn the mic back on, I think I do know that answer, and I'd say the answer, ooh, they got mad, because, you know, I, I kept, that's how I kept my candy, right? Now, we're going to see the religion. You want to go on a bus trip with me? I'm the one to take. Okay, but anyway, uh, we're going to see the religious leaders try to stump Jesus today. They're going to try to stump Jesus today, but we'll see that they are the chumps. The religious leaders are the chumps because they're playing a losing game. No one stumps Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for bringing us through many trials and struggles and and spiritual battles this week to come together for this worship time. And now we pray that your word would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would take it and transform our minds and our hearts, making us more like Jesus. We pray that in his name. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage. It's a wild one. Mark 12, starting with verse 18. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife shall she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, you are badly mistaken. Nobody stumps Jesus. Verse 18, we'll read that one again. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. So the Sadducees come. The religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. We've seen the Pharisees take a shot. Now the Sadducees are taking a shot. And they're trying to trap him, trip him up. They're trying to get him arrested by the authorities or stoned by the people. They're trying two different ways to get him killed, one way or the other. He has evaded and turned the tables each time. We've been looking at this, if you were, remember when we were back in Mark 12, earlier. 
earlier. He's evaded, turned the tables. They couldn't stump him no matter what. They, they tried a political questions. All the political questions didn't work. But now the Sadducees decided to try a theological question to catch Jesus, to trap him. And it's ironic that the Sadducees are working with the Pharisees. We've talked about this before. They're bitter enemies, but they all hate Jesus. They see Jesus as a threat to their agendas. Remember we talked about that? The Sadducees were very political, very wealthy, intellectuals, and they dominated the priestly class. They, they dominated the whole priest caste system. That's why Israel was such a mess spiritually. Israel was a, a, when Jesus came, it was a mess. That's why they're trying to murder him. The Sadducees, Pharisees, they end up did they end up did working out a hit on Jesus, right? They used the Romans to get him killed. But it's a mess spiritually. These guys were very liberal theologically. They only accepted five books of the Old Testament, the first five, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. They didn't accept all the rest, and we know a lot of people like that today, liberal theologically, even America. They only take certain parts of the Bible that they believe. They kind of Swiss cheese it and shred it and take what they want, right? And they didn't believe in the supernatural, they didn't believe in the supernatural. There was no resurrection. We already talked about it. There's no angels. This is it. This is the end of life. No resurrection. This is all there is to life. We know a lot of religious leaders like that today, don't we? There's a lot of churches headed up by them. They, they don't believe in the power of Jesus Christ. They don't believe in the supernatural. They don't believe much of the Bible. That's why our country is in a spiritual mess, right? And the Sadducees thought... There's no resurrection. This life is all there is. And that's why they were sad, you see. You remember the song, right? You know, I just want to be sheep, bad, bad. Don't want to be a sad, you see. Right? They're sad because this is it. There's no life after this. And, and if this is it, that would be sad, wouldn't it? So they come up with a tricky question. Verse 19, what they thought was tricky. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man marries and dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were, were married to her? Tricky question. They're referring to the law of Moses here, and it is a law in, in, given by Moses to the Israel. The Levirate marriage, it's from Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 through 10. Let's read this, actually what it says. Verse 5, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of her brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to, be, to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family's line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. Well... 
the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. That's what happened in the book of Ruth. Boaz took her because the closest relative would not, remember? And remember, he removed his sandal. But the book of Ruth doesn't tell the whole story. She spit in his face, right? You read the book of Ruth, now you'll see the whole picture is right from this, this story. And what the idea behind it was a brother must marry the childless wife of a dead brother. And then after they had a child, the first child would be named after that brother. We, a lot of us name somebody after someone in the family. Well, this was so that his name would not be forgotten. It would be carried on, okay? So that's the idea behind the law that Moses gave through God's command. But the Sadducees come along and tell this fabricated story, obviously. All, seven brothers all marry. They all die. Who's she going to be married to in heaven? They don't even believe in the resurrection. That's how hypocritical these guys are, right? They don't even believe in the resurrection, but they're trying to mock the resurrection by using this absurd story and undermine Jesus at the same time. The Pharisees had already come up with a rule on this because these guys apparently had argued about this many times. And the Pharisees had already ruled on this. They said the first husband would be married to this woman in heaven. So the safe answer for Jesus, he should have just said, I agree with the Pharisees and gone with that and that would have been safe, right? But no, Jesus never takes the safe way. He takes the right way. Verse 24. And he says to them in verse, back to Mark 12, verse 24. Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Are you not in error because you not, do not know the scriptures or the power of God? This is one of the most convicting verses in God's word. Unbelievable, And it's just as true today as when Jesus spoke them. We don't have God's power because we don't know God's word. That's why so many churches in the USA today are dying out, disappearing. Whole denominations, in fact, are disappearing. Many of you probably grew up in some of these very God-fearing, Bible-based denominations that today are just about disappearing. They're hemorrhaging. They're, 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 it's, they're just disappearing. Why? Why? Because they don't preach the word anymore. They don't preach. You could go to that church for 50 years and never hear the gospel even one time. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of what Jesus has done for us. Dying on the cross in our place so that we can put our faith in him and have a new life in Jesus Christ. You will never hear that in these churches. Because they don't preach the word. And and because of that, there's no spiritual power in these churches. Our power isn't in the pastor or our church or something. It's in the word of God. That's what changes our life. That's what changes people's life. That's what saves people and transforms us and gives us purpose and gives us eternity in heaven someday. It's the word of God. And it's the same effect if we don't stick to the word of God as individuals, it's going to affect us with our spiritual power too. We'll revisit that a little bit later. But Jesus is telling the Sadducees, if you knew God's word, you would know his power. The resurrection is clearly taught in the Bible from eight, from Genesis through Revelation, clearly, clearly taught in God's word. And God clearly has the power to resurrect the dead. If you know his word, you know it's no big deal to resurrect the dead for God. He's got the power. So then Jesus says in verse 25, 
Let's look at what he says to them next. When the, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. When the dead rise. Jesus just assumes. He doesn't try to even argue. He just assumes it. It's a fact to him. He assumes the fact. But he says there will be no marriages in heaven. You've heard the term marriages made in heaven? Well, there won't be any marriages made in heaven. Yeah, there won't be any. And I'm, I'm sure we will still appreciate each other. If you're married here on earth, you'll still appreciate each other. And we'll remember the bond that we had on earth. It's going to be very special still. But we're not married anymore. And I know some of you are probably really disappointed. And some are kind of relieved probably. But anyway, that's the, that's, that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> but there will be no more need for marriage in heaven. No more need for it. Or for sexual relations. Sorry, jihadists. There won't be 70 virgins waiting for you. Uh, well, not where you're going anyway. But anyway, but not in heaven either. Uh, there's no need for marriage. There's, there's no more sexual relations. This, this marriage and sexual relations were given by God in Genesis 2.24. In Genesis 2.24 it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother... And be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. One flesh. That is from God. For a man and a woman to bond together for procreation. It's to form a very close bond, which is very important in a marriage, and for procreation. That's God's purpose. But in heaven, the purpose has already been fulfilled. So there's no need now for marriage or sexual relations once we get to heaven. Jesus says we will live like angels in heaven, which gives the Pharisees another jab. He's always jabbing, jabbing. This Jesus guy is like so sharp, you know, always jabbing. They don't believe in angels either, but he gives them that jab too. He teaches two lessons in one sentence. They don't believe in that. He says there will be will be like the angels in heaven. There will be no sexual relations. We will live like the angels in heaven live. But we won't become angels. A lot of people think, well, when I die, I grow wings and have a harp. We get the harp at, from St. Peter and we turn into a, an angel. Well, that doesn't happen. We're, we're different created beings. It doesn't say we'll become angels. We'll, be, we'll live like the angels. The angels are a different created being. In fact, in Hebrews 1.14 it says... Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit eternal life? Did you know that's what angels were created to do? To serve us. They're our best friends. God has, has sent them to serve us and to help us in our spiritual walk. And so we are going to live like them in heaven. Now, how does Jesus know all this about heaven? How does he know all this? How does he know what heaven is like? Well, that's where he's from, right? <laughs> he, he's been there. He's from there. He created heaven. Jesus created heaven. The Bible teaches he created all things. And if you really want to know what heaven is like, don't depend on books and movies. <laughs> depend on Jesus. Even Christians will come to me and say, oh, wow, I just, I'm so encouraged and so comforted. Now I finally know what heaven is like. I just saw this movie. I just read this book. This little five-year-old went to heaven and came back. And now I know what, I, this five-year-old has told me what heaven is like now. And now I'm so excited about my, my, where I'm going. And I'm like, what about Jesus? You know, I mean, no, no, listen. 
I'm not saying it's wrong to read those books or watch those. As long as they're in total agreement with what Jesus said, I have no problem with it. But our faith should, shouldn't be dependent on a five-year-old, right? Our faith and our real comfort should come from God's word and what Jesus says about heaven. Look up all the verses. Those it's cute to watch movies. I watch them, and I, our kids watch them and all that. But, but listen, look up all the verses on heaven. Google heaven in the Bible, and there's tons of verses to really know what heaven is like and, and where we're going and how we're going to live. But we don't know everything. There's a lot of mystery. In fact, one of my favorite verses about heaven is 1 Corinthians 2.9. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says... And there's a song about, we actually sing the song. It is written, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's beyond human comprehension. It's described, but it goes, we, we're just getting a little tip of the iceberg. We're just scratching the surface. It's beyond human comprehension. We can only imagine what it's going to be like when we get with Jesus, right? But I'll give you a hint what won't be there. We don't know everything that will be there, but I'll give you a hint what won't be there before you even start your Googling and studying heaven. What won't be there won't be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. How's that for a sound for starters? Pretty good, huh? Heaven. So anyway, Jesus wraps up this lesson, this talk with a lesson on the resurrection. He gets the real issue back in Mark chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, when he says, Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. You are badly mistaken. He says, haven't you read in the book of Moses? Now, what are, Sadducees, what do they only believe? The book of Moses. They only believe the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, what Moses wrote. They only believe them. But he, so he uses the only part of the Bible that they really believe. He uses that on them. And he says, haven't you read that? And that's hint here, we must read the Bible. We must know the Bible. And he says in the account of the bush... In the account of the bush. The account of the bush, many of you already know, is in Exodus 33. In an Exodus 30, I'm sorry, Exodus 3, sorry, sorry. Exodus 3, we'll read it, a couple verses here. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. You've seen Charlton Heston. You've probably seen the movies, right? Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Back to Mark 12, 26 to 27, Jesus connects the dots for the Sadducees. 
He connects the dots for them. And when he says, it's, he, God didn't say to Moses, I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, I was the God of Jacob. No, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. If they were dead and gone, he said, I was their God. But he says, I am their God. Interesting, Moses, remember back in Mark chapter 9? The transfiguration? Who appeared with Jesus? Moses and Elijah? He's still alive. Moses is still alive too. They're all still alive. He's not the God of the dead but the living. And then Jesus says you are badly mistaken. That is a warning. Don't mess with Jesus. Badly mistaken. Eternal life is definitely taught throughout the Old Testament from Genesis through Malachi, and it's obviously taught in the New Testament from, Je- from Matthew through Revelation. It's taught very, very clearly in the Old Testament, and then Jesus came to make what was fuzzy very, very clear for us. It's, it's taught, but, it, but Jesus makes it crystal clear for us. In fact, in 2 Timothy 1.10, in 2 Timothy 1.10 he says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When Jesus died on the cross, he destroyed death. When he came back to life three days later, later, he brought life and immortality to light. He showed us what we are going to live like if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's resurrection is our guarantee of being resurrected too. That's our guarantee. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15:20, he says, verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's saying he was the first one. The first one of all those who are going to die, he's showing us our resurrection. That's what Jesus shows. That's what our whole hope rests in, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, a few verses later, 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 51. Wow. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Talking about for those who are still alive when Jesus returns, we will be changed, and the dead will be raised imperishable. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where O death is your victory where O death is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord The power of the resurrection and what it means to us. Are we living in that resurrection power? The the moment you die, you're going to open your eyes. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll open your eyes and we're going to be with Jesus. It's true, we aren't going to get our new bodies yet. That comes at 
this passage here talking about in First Corinthians. But we're going to be our, we're going to be with him immediately, and then later on with the, the great resurrection, we're all going to get new bodies all together all at the same time. But it doesn't. The resurrection power doesn't start when we get our new body. It doesn't start when we die and come back with Jesus right away. He says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. It doesn't start at that moment. The resurrection power starts here and now. The moment we put our faith in Jesus and give our life to him, that's when the resurrection power starts now. Are we living in Jesus Christ's resurrection power? In Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's the goal of our life here on earth is knowing the power of his resurrection. Are are we realizing, are you realizing that power today? Or is our life out of whack? Are things just kind of off kilter spiritually? Is our growth, spiritual growth, stunted? Are we living a life of defeat instead of a life of victory because we don't know the word or its power in our life? Have we bought the world's lies in some area of our life? Are we following feelings instead of faith? Are we following our own human wisdom instead of God's word? Or will we put our faith in God's word and live by that power, the power of God's word. We live by that power. I think of temptations. I think of addictions. People call them addictions, but the Bible doesn't call it addiction. The Bible calls it besetting sins. Addictions are not diseases, just so you understand that. Addictions are doors that we open that have taken a hold of us, emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually, that we have given a hold of us. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, it calls it a besetting sin. And the reason I'm telling you is you will not get victory over an addiction as long as you say, well, it's just a disease. A disease is something you catch and you have no power over. But when the Bible calls it a besetting sin, that's what it calls addictions. That is something that you can fight against. That's something you can battle against. That is something that you can, by God's grace and God's mercy, say no to and get your healing from. And we have the power the resurrection power to overcome temptations and addictions. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and given your life to God, you have divine power. We may not be realizing that power in our life, but that's because we don't, we're not acting on our knowledge of him. It's what we know Jesus has said to us. It's what we know the power that God has given us. We have divine power to, to break addictive sins, to battle against anything that we're facing, to live in victory. I'm not saying live free of battle. No, it's going to be a battle. But we have the ability to live in victory if we know the power of Jesus Christ in our life. And if you are battling something and you need help with it, talk to me or talk to Kim. Guys, talk to me. Ladies, talk to Kim. We will help you or connect you with someone in our church or or a Christian counselor, someone that can help you. Lots of different resources, someone who can help you fight this battle. 
Get your healing. I tell people this all the time. Get your healing. Don't live with the lies, the delusions, the defeats. Don't live with it. Get your healing. There is hope for anybody by the power of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Powerful, powerful passage where it says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. It's what we were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We could all look at that list. And I'm sure many of us could add to that list, couldn't we? It's what we were. But it's not what we are today. We can be free from that through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of his his resurrection. Get your healing. Do Do you have your freedom? Do you have the hope? If you're here today, you might be here today and you don't have the hope. Do you have the hope of a real life here and now and a real life forever with God someday? Do you have that hope? There's only one way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's only one way to come to him. It's not by living a good life and being good enough and following religious rules and rituals. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, perish but have eternal life. It's only by believing in Jesus Christ and giving your life to him. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, How is God speaking to our heart? Maybe you walked in this morning without hope, without purpose, without freedom. But the Spirit of God is speaking to you now. You can have life now. You can have the power of Jesus Christ in your life now and forever in heaven someday. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I know we're all on a spiritual journey, but maybe on your journey, you're ready to put your faith in Jesus. You can do that right now. You can pray to God right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, right where you are today. Say, God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I 
I believe he was your son. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sin. Everything wrong I've ever done or ever will do, I believe that. I don't want the sin anymore. I ask you to forgive me. I turn away from that life. I repent of that life. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And I'm going to follow him. If you prayed that prayer of faith in your heart to God, something radical has happened in your life. The Holy Spirit is now living inside of you, and you will never be the same. You can never go back to living your old life again. Because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and you are in for the adventure of a lifetime. You have Jesus Christ's resurrection power. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've taken that step of faith, you've prayed that prayer of faith, you've given your life to Jesus, let somebody know. Maybe you came with a family member or a friend or... Tell me on the way out or fill out the card or text me, email, call. Let, let somebody know so that we could be excited for you and, and help you and encourage you in your new life in Jesus. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe there's a lie that we've believed. Maybe we're following our feelings instead of our faith in some area of our life. Maybe we know that something in our life is not what God's word says, but it's what the world says. And today would be the day that begins our transformation. Our prayer is, God, even though everything is going against your word, the world and my flesh and years of addiction, by faith I'm going to follow your word and I ask that I could experience your power in my life as I begin this battle and if it's strong enough I would ask that your prayer would be God show me who I can talk to who I can open up to and share this struggle and and, and get an ally in this battle.
Some things we just have to pray to God and we're free. Others we have to pray to God and share with another brother or sister in Christ to help us battle. Father, I pray that you would not let us just push the word out of our mind or out of our heart, but your spirit would convict us deeply. I pray that each one of us would find new freedom in Christ. Today, this week, this year, that this would be the start of a new victory and new freedom in Christ and a new life in Christ. I pray that those who are ready to give up or have given up, that they would have new hope, Father. Persevering, a lifetime of perseverance. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.